Hi, this is Way. And this is Ariel. And this is Every- My Wakanda! <laughs> Everybody's facing. <laughs> oh, I so much. And we are so excited to have our first ever special guest. I know, this is a first. Wow. Live from Wakanda, Candice DeVezo. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you here. I didn't even know how to introduce one of the top actors of Houston. She's a social media maven, artist, amazing. mother, public intellectual. All of these things. And podcaster, co-host of the new podcast Woken Half Asleep. Woken Half Asleep. <laughs> Welcome. Hi. You guys are super nice with that intro. <laughs> that I was like, lower everybody's standards. Lower oh, lower no. the standard. Oh, so Frank Candace. <laughs> yeah, she's my homegirl. She be coming around sometimes. No. We don't bring bullshit onto the show. <laughs> we have high expectations and you meet those and over and beyond. So Thanks, bask in it. Bask in it. Oh. I can't use my mom as a gauge anymore. So, so what, what, do you do, what do you do and why? That's a good question. What do I do and why? Why? Um, I, what do I do and why? Um, as my primary income, I act. That's like, okay, that's the bread and butter mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, and I do theater is the consistent for the last year. I've worked nonstop with theater productions back to back. And then TV film stuff, which is so variable, you know, but... So that's my main bread and butter. And then I write and podcast and plan events and just anything that involves creating and creating content and producing other ways for me to continue to be relevant and continue to work. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because everything stuff is feeding. On Facebook. Everything is interesting feeding stuff on one Facebook. another. Yeah. Um, your. Your social media life and also your writing feeds your, you know, accentuating your craft. And then, so it makes complete sense to me. Yeah. And because it's my only day, it's only, it's my only job now. So it is a lot of creating and then uh, creating ways for people to know what I'm creating and always trying to create another job or opportunity for myself. Because if I, if you're waiting for it, then you're just in a variable market. Like... So I kind of want to talk about that a little because I've, you know, I was working a lot with artists, helping them get access to information and also grants. And it was rare to find an artist who was able to just function as a creative person. Um, So can you talk a little bit about that, how you're able to make that work? I'm sure people are curious because very few people do it or make the leap to do it. I think um, one thing I can say that is works to my benefit is that um, I do have a master's degree in a in in public administration, and because of the nature of it, it's a very kind of practical degree for management in in the public sector Mm -hmm. and nonprofit and things like that. And because of having this like left brain ability, it balances the creative side. Mm -hmm. So creatively I can think of like, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do this and that. And then I let the left brain say, okay, now what's the first action step? Um, what are the smart goals I need to do? What are my benchmarks? How do I know I'm going to meet it? 
And I think that's the combination that a lot of artists don't have. And I have to be both of those to myself, which is difficult sometimes because when I'm in a creative space, I often am not, I have to chew an idea down till I can finally logic it and put it in a practical parameter of something I can accomplish. And then if I'm in a left brain space and I'm thinking logically, art doesn't come out of logic. So I can't create art when I'm in this like practical space because most of the shit you want to create seems huge and you're like, I'll never get it done. Um, but having that ability, I think, does help me a lot. So as a testament to this ability, and I'm going to tell a little anecdote. Oh, God. I think this had to be either two or three years ago. Candace invited me to this workshop that she had at her house. Oh, and what? it was like, it was like about black women kind of healing and processing through our feelings. Um, and she invited me and there were like maybe three or four other black women yeah. there. And first of all, when I got there, I was like, we're just going to sit on the floor and like yell at each other for two hours. It was the most succinct and organized, like free spirited, like psychological event because she was like, okay, I have supplies. This is what we're going to write down. These are the sections that we're going to discuss. And it was really well directed. So I can kind of speak to even in social environments and in like just kind of creating a space for release for us, it was very well planned and well thought out. So you definitely are methodical when it comes to those type of things. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, I just really needed something. Oh, <laughs> I was like, who needs this? Because I need to talk. I'm angry. It was ama- it was amazing. Like, And this had to, ha- this had to be two years ago um, or more. So I don't know. Yeah, I forget that we have that history and those I things kind of come up. as we talk. So, so I've been wanting to have you on the podcast, I think since even like before we even started recording, like when I first started thinking about a podcast about the intersection of dating, race and entertainment, I was like, I want Candace because she has a great personality. And so I think what we want to do in this podcast is like, we're going to talk about essentially all the things that we've talked about in this podcast, but we're going to get your perspective because I feel like you have like an amazing perspective. And then we're going to transition and we're going to go to Wakanda. We're going to talk about Black Panther. I think we're at a point where we've reached an, like like a like a level where we have had the Black Panther conversation, mm-hmm. but we're going to keep it going because there's still a lot of different venues to explore with this movie. And I feel like the moment is still growing. Right. I feel like we're still in the moment and I'm so excited. I just had a conversation with my friend John about Asian Wakanda and who would let be let in an Asian Yo, Wakanda. Asian Wakanda? We're debating Aziz, debating George Takei. Oh, okay, who are we going to let in? So this is like spreading far and wide, the gravity of this movie. So right. we're going to we're gonna circle back on that and we'll get your thoughts on that. So this is kind of like a two-part, very special podcast that we have today. And now, oh my God, this is going to be great. <laughs> oh. So much content. So something I asked you was like, this is something I think about, and this is like a broad question. We can kind of specify it more, which is like, how often do you think about race when it comes to dating? Is it a factor that is important when it comes to romance, when it comes to getting along with someone, when it comes to dating? It is. It is an important factor yeah. because I want to know primarily that you can understand my daily experiences um, and I don't want to come home and have to fight with you if I'm already feeling like I'm struggling against a certain ceiling in the world. I don't want to come home and have to justify that because you can't understand that. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be black to understand it. You could be white and understand it. And you could also be black and not understand it. Right. So I just need whoever I am dating to 
to understand that and be very sympathetic and encouraging to the idea that there are situations that I will encounter because I am navigating as a visibly black woman in America, regardless of how I define myself privately. Visibly, I'm in a category and there are things that come with that. But other than that, I'm super open. Like, if you down with like Black Lives Matter and you like, like, I'm good, like super good on that. I mean, last week I talked a little bit. I mean, Way asked me if I was open to dating interracially, and I told him that at this point I'm not. Not, not, not like forever, but just in this specific section or <laughs> moment in time, I'm Which exhausted. So many men so sad. I'm exhausted. <laughs> like I'm tired. I don't <laughs> feel like having to explain. Um, or when I come home at the end of the day and I'm frustrated and a lot of the frustration comes from the subtle nuances of oppression that I experience, having to come home and tell you what those nuances are, I'm fucking tired. I don't want to do it. Um, and I don't have that energy right now. And I think a lot of people don't, people just see it as prejudice. People see, oh, you're dismissive. Oh, you don't, you don't like my, you know, milky white complexion. And it's like, no, baby, that's not it. It's that I'm tired. And so I wish that was something that was more discussed among white black women that we have to kind of endure when we choose to step outside of our own race in the, in the realm of dating. Um, but, you know, you down for this world, girl. I be knowing. I'm super down. Hey. <laughs> I'm super down for all the swirls. We are, this is a pro-swirl podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God, I, I, there's very few continents I haven't hit at this point. Like, oh, my God. There's some smaller islands I haven't got to. I give got me time. Hose. <laughs> I got hoes. I got hoes in different area codes. Country codes. Country codes. Country codes. numbers. It's that number before the plus, because we're yeah, plus the, one, right? right, right? Yeah. And like the plus 11 is like London or something. Oh, I know you probably Oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's a London area code? <laughs> I'm not even sure. We WhatsApp, but. Oh, you know, don't let him tell all your business on this podcast. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, what? but. It is true because, okay, so in comparison, I have dated uh, a white guy who was very aware, but also for the most part, humble Mm -hmm. in willingness to understand what he didn't understand. Um, And that humility is everything to me. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know by experience, but when I tell you what I tell you, you you can lend yourself to the truth of what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. just off the fact that number one, you love me, and number two, you know that your experience is not mine. Right. Um, and he also, when I would talk culturally about Africa and, and things like that, like he would say, Oh yeah, this country and this ethnic group and his, his study of my cultural heritage Hmm. was so much higher than black men. I met in the South. I had a black guy tell me, yeah, I really want to help the country of Africa. I wanted to die. (laughs) And then I've got, Oh, white on, guy brothers. over here on, who's talking to me about the Bamaleke, do you know what I mean? Ethnic group and and so it's like But also but the exposure of him being a Europe I don't know, I feel like European men usually they're like bilingual, trilingual, they've had access to a different they're not so um centric. Um and they have to have exposure and education around kind of a more global point of view than maybe Americans do because our culture is too... That guy was American. 
I know I'm saying that the black man d- has not been educated in a way that calls him to have a more global knowledge than maybe a European man would. Yeah, but like regardless, no, it's no college, excuse. No, like, Negro, you need to know the African did not. Like okay. I think people people go toward the experiences and knowledge they want to have. Right. And a man who wants to have a global understanding of his privilege or place in the world and is willing to put his money to travel to 20 countries and learn somebody else's language and live in their culture in poverty with them or at the level with them versus an American man who literally being black and oppressed in America but still resting on his American privileges and saying, I have no desire to leave Houston. I have no desire to, what do they eat over there? That's weird. Yeah. Couldn't tell me well, anything uh, about anybody. Are you like ever up. suspicious of like the white person who like loves this like African or like Asian culture so much they have like fetishization? And it's just like, and it's like, I don't know. Is it really sexy to be lectured or explained like my, you know, like let, let's see for me, a white woman who really knows about U.S., uh, China, Taiwan politics. It's like, is that something I'm really into? I'm like, oh wow, you're so into people like me. That's so really wonderful, romantic. Or is it like. <laughs> Hmm. Is, She's going is there try something and teach going me. on? Is there something scientific? Is there something kind of kind of like anthropological going on <laughs> that is more of a fascination? See, you know what I mean. That's so. I have a hard time with it because I feel like it is like a really nuanced conversation. Being that I am black in the South, but I am from the West Coast, and I have an immigrant father, and my mother's family is very assimilated, so. Like, I was dating yeah. a black guy recently, and he says, oh, whenever we get out in public, you start talking with this professional white voice. I don't want to have to explain to mm. a black man Code switching. why my voice is not white or professional, and also consider my background. I grew up in a Mexican immigrant neighborhood. I went to an all-Asian school for my formative years. I didn't even get into actual public education till my last two years of high school. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are black people who have unique experiences and why should I have to explain that to a black man? I feel like black men also are capable of fetishizing me within the culture as well. Oh, you're mm. free-spirited. You're the, oh, you're so strange. I feel more fetishized by black Southern men than I sometimes do by white men. Oh my God, this is blowing my mind. And I have much more skepticism about white men. And I'll give black mm. men much more of a pass because I assume we are the same. Mm-hmm. And culturally, so I started saying I date interculturally Meaning that anybody who fits my culture, my worldviews, my values, I will date. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. can look like anything versus I'm making an assumption about your worldview based on your color. And it's so not true. So I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm going to try and wave the flag for my brothers real quick. <laughs> I just, no, not that you was going in on them. I, I feel, I feel like everybody is a product of their, their upbringing. And I was raised specifically in, an African-American community, and a lot of those African-Americans had a particular type of exposure. Um, and so I will come to Houston, and I will approach what you experience often. And the the differentiation isn't race, it's privilege. You know, being in a community where, you know, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the new Atlanta mayor, and then the old Atlanta mayor, and then CeeLo is up the street, and then the president of Morehouse is all in one community, and that community is raising the girls and the boys the the black the the savviness of those type of black people are just different it's it's just so when i look at my possibilities that's what i reference and so when i come to houston and i i mean basic ass niggas i'm like <laughs> i'm like you're not my reference point i know that you you weren't called to have a certain 
awareness and knowledge and that's unfair to you, but you got to do better. <laughs> yeah. And I think like Indians, like just because two people are Indian doesn't mean that like, right. I mean, if I'm, if I'm Hindu and you're a Sikh, right. we, we are not meant to date or marry culturally. Right. And I think we as African-Americans sometimes don't give ourselves the, the same nuance that people within their other cultural contexts have. Like, mm. just because you look the same doesn't mean you are of the same ilk. Right. And I think, like, that's a distinction I'm very clear to make. Like, just because you're black don't mean we the same people. Right. And I'm looking for my people, and I'm willing to accept them in, like, whatever. I would prefer. I mean, it would be great, like, if you were black. It would be great. But, like... I'm also like, I'm not going to stay single waiting for this maybe unicorn. Yeah. I, I hear this a lot from Asian people who don't, or Asian guys who don't date Asian girls. They're like, they, they remind me too much of my mother. And it's kind of a weird thing where it's like, you, you, like dating someone and marrying someone is kind of, is creating a family. But I think there are some Asian Americans who have very complicated feelings about family. So mm. when I date Asian women, I am worried if they will have aspects of Asian thinking that I don't think I reject. I think rejected me as an artist, as a certain type of person who does not fit the model minority, you know? And so I think, I feel like I have like a different categorization of like very, very broad fears of dating different kinds of women. Mm. So I think with white women, I'm like afraid that they're racist. Yes. Or afraid that I'm going to do this thing. I'm, I'm just going to lay this out. I think I do this thing where I try to leverage my male privilege over white women so that I can have power over them in a way that I don't have power over them when we talk about race. And that's very toxic. And that's oh, very mass. Yeah. Yeah. It's very really like, complex. Interesting. Yeah. It's very complex. Yeah. So I want to, I want to, so if they're being a very basic white girl and saying racist things, I kind of want to say sexist. You know what I mean? So gotcha. it's like, they bring out the bad, bad male The negativity begins negativity. Yeah. And for me with Asian women, it's like, I have a certain stereotype of Asian culture based off my relationships with Asian people. And I'm worried that you're not going to be adventurous enough or you're going to be too conservative or that you're going to be focused on money or you're going to be XYZ, XYZ, XYZ. Um, you're going to be quote unquote like my mother. I know it's like a weird Freudian thing to say, but I think a lot of Asian men with, have like close relationships with their parents and have that kind of complex issue of I want to have an independent love life, independent of Asian American kind of dominance. Mm. And I think with black women, I don't know if th- this came from not me or, or well, like so black women, where it's like I'm worried that I will be problematic because this is why I've been told that because I have been like ingrained in me a certain kind of white supremacy that will not allow me to truly love a black woman that I will, really? I will i will like leave a black woman for a white woman yeah that i, I have certain <gasps> racial problems that prevent me from like fully loving black women so these That's are my fears so... these are my racial fears for black people white people and asian people i can definitely agree with all of that hmm. my fear with white men is um you i i don't ever relax like fully, oh. mm-hmm. I am waiting for you to say the one thing, oh, and I'm gonna rip that ass. I don't care if I love you. Like I love this gentleman, and we talk about race, and I say my experience trumps anything you have to fucking say. So you should shut up and let me speak. Like I'm serious. Because yeah, what if they're well, Candace? You're pretty for a black girl. <laughs> I had a boyfriend who somebody told that to. He was white, and he went off. Oh, okay. And okay. I was like, okay. thank, thank you. you. Yeah. And I wasn't even around. And he, he told me how he was so upset about it. But he had never been exposed to like, mm-hmm. 
he it was a new interest to his own culture, like a reflection of his own culture. I do have that saying though of, um, are you first generation? Yeah. So I was born here, but my parents are from Taiwan. Yeah. So do you feel like a lot of your thinking about they might be like my parents is because there's this nuance of being a first generation Asian American and then your parents being... This, I mean, look, this is something I actually want to bring up for the Wakanda segment, which okay. is like, which is the whole idea of Killmonger. I, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, which is I, I feel like I'm not Asian, right? Because Asian means you're from Asia. Right. And I'm not American because what is that there's this idea of American that excludes a lot of people. And I feel excluded from that. Mm-hmm. So Asian American, there's like a hyphen between Asian American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think my existence lives within that hyphen, mm-hmm. that little tiny punctuation mark that doesn't say anything, has no vowels or consonants, but joins in, in some way or bridges the gap between two worlds. Right. So I live what I call like a hyphenated kind of identity. No. And of course, to be an African-American, it's the same yeah, the same principle that was explored in, within that movie, as deep as it could be within the function of a superhero narrative, um, which is what like what is African, what is American, and I mean it's spurring a dialogue between Africans and African Americans about identity in a way that's really interesting and and makes us uncomfortable in a lot of ways too. How how much can we dress like African people as people who aren't necessarily African? Like I'm hearing that a lot, like a whole article about Africans telling us that, Hey, why are you, you, um, your genealogy positions you in Ghana. So why are you coming out here dressing like an Eritrean to this, um, this, this movie premiere, it's appropriation. Like, and so black people who have been jumping down people's necks, okay, over appropriation, it's 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 a challenging conversation that's happening. Ooh, that oh is my god. That is well, well, my question is like it's like with Killmonger, right? Because like, okay, I think we're in Wakanda now. It's like with Killmonger, <laughs> it's like is he the African, the true African American hero, the kid from Oakland, or is he the CIA? Or is he American foreign policy? Like what? What does he represent? Oh God! Right, that, right. That, that, that's the thing. Are the this is all you, girl. I know you have thoughts, and you like trying to organize them. I see it in your face. You're trying to like break it down because you've got all of these things that are happening inside your face. Because this is what you wrote. It's okay. So we have been going back and forth on Facebook. I was here for it. I was here for it. I was Twitter fingers getting it all. Like I was exercising my fingers all day. Like who wants some today? Who want to debate this Black Panther movie? But what you said, Killmonger represents. At first, on first glance, I didn't think he was a a villain because his emotional arc, his backstory was so justified and so relatable to African-Americans. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't his fault. Most villain story though, it's not their fault initially. Right. Then, um, and so I got into this debate with somebody because they were saying that um, why does Marvel always portray revolutionaries as villains, right? Why They're saying that Killmonger was Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And they demonize Killmonger to demonize black people who don't choose the route of diplomacy as their predominant way of like maintaining some sort of... Like, I feel like that's freedom. short-sighted, but okay. It is. <laughs> And I started thinking about that, like, what was my initial tie to Killmonger? And it was, it was this hyphenated life, this, Mm. I have a claim to this ancestry, but I can't, I can't fully claim it, but it is my birthright. Mm -hmm. And then I'm American, but America has left me an orphan. I've been, like, he was orphaned Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. and his, his African father, his Wakandan father was murdered. And now he is left to be raised by this system. 
And I felt like his father really is America. Mm -hmm. This was his paternal father. He was in a system. He was in a foster care. This is literally your paternal father. The The CIA. Yeah, the great white America. You've become part of the system. And I think... I think the nuance with Killmonger that I consider is that I think the reason that so many African-Americans relate to Killmonger is because of that hyphen, but also they don't realize that Killmonger did represent all the imperialism that America is. Here's a, here's a, here's an autonomous country and we have black people in the military. We had a black head of state in Obama, but the imperialist nature of our foreign policy is still to go and subvert another country's autonomy, take your resources for our agenda. Mm-hmm. This was Killmonger's plan. Here's a free, not oppressed society that is sovereign and it has a right to sovereignty. And you think you have the right to now usurp its power. Give me all your vibranium and I'm going to do with your resources what I want without any regard to what you want for your sovereign state, for your people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is Iraq. Like, this is literally America's foreign policy in every country. And that's deep. See, I had not, I did not do that processing. It, I, because I was like, Killmonger's not Malcolm X because Malcolm X said self defense by any means necessary. So I think if we were going to say somebody's Malcolm, it would be the Wakandans. Yeah. Because hmm. they'd never attacked. And I think that's kind of Hotep's short sightedness. You assume that Malcolm X was violent because white people told you he was violent. Malcolm X was not violent. He was about self-defense. He never attacked anybody. Like, mm-hmm. name an attack Malcolm X did on anybody. None. He didn't. He was about defending. And protecting. Protecting their right to sovereignty, to self-determination by any means, including physically. Wow. And Wakanda was like, they had the right to do so. Right. And they did so, even if they had to fight with themselves to maintain that. But I guess... An issue was that Wakanda did not see this sense of... They saw themselves as Wakandans, but they did not see the unity of blackness. And that was Killmonger's issue. He said that, hey, blackness unifies us. And because we are unified in that way, you have a responsibility to respond. I... Of course, Killmonger, because of his experience, was imbued with all of this bitterness. And it it made him um, inhuman a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um... And I don't know if that was an error of the portrayal or if that's the truth. You have so much resentment that you're, you just see red and you can't really process the humanity of what's going on in the situation that, hey, this is a culture in which we have this rich plant that, you know, has, um, because you're African American and you don't have that lineage and you don't feel like you have an entitlement to that right. legacy, you don't respect you it. No respect right. for their spiritual custom. Mm-mm. He burned like this sacred sacred burned it like right and i think and the yes (laughs) complicated and i don't think killmonger was a villain because of his ideals Mm -hmm. i think his ideals were spot on right i think his assessment of wakanda and t'challa was spot on right and so people say like oh you think he villainized because he was willing to use force i'm like Wakanda used force. Right. They they fought. They weren't like, hey, let's talk about it around a round table right. and kumbaya over these, you know, these little precious plants. Like right. they were they were physical. They fight. They're about to right. fight in Infinity Wars. Like they weren't passive, obviously. Right. But I think he's a villain by nature of like a Greek tragedy structure, which mm-hmm. most of our myths and stories are based on this epic hero structure. Right. And in those structures, 
it, Killmonger's tragic flaw was not his use of force, was not his backstory, was not his logic. It was his inability to adapt and evolve. Right. Villains can never adapt and evolve. Right. Because they can't see beyond their villainy. Right. And the and he just in the story structure, he to me he just served as the catalyst for T'Challa's evolution because T'Challa even kind of disavowed his lineage and said, you guys have been doing it wrong. Right. And he was willing to adapt toward the middle, toward Killmonger. And Killmonger was so unwilling to adapt, he's like, I'd rather die. Right. Like, you'd rather, like, he did it so quickly, too. I was like, damn, you didn't even give T'Challa a chance to be like, nah, my nigga, we can, I mean, we can get you a suite. Like, right. you want to, like, work up in the ranks? Like, he would just, like, T'Challa, my girl, like, looked at him like, damn, nigga, that was real. I'm so fascinated that it's like, this is not like a subtextual conversation we're having here. Like, this is actually the plot of the movie where the Wakandans are like, is he one of us? And the CIA agent is like, no, he's one of us. So they are talking about who Killmonger belongs to. And then there's this quote where T'Challa tells Killmonger, you want to see us become just like the people you hate so much. I learn from my enemies, Killmonger retorts. But T'Challa says, you have you become, become them. them. I thought and that that's was why it's good. And so, and like, so that's what, why it's good. So if you are a black imperialist, are you like what does that mean? When you adopt imperialism, is imperialism like root so much rooted in whiteness and white dominance and European dominance of countries of color that if you use imperialist tools as a way for black liberation, that 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 is still a white tool, no matter what? So if you look at um colonialization in Africa and how um, when the decision was made to decolonialize, mm -hmm. how it affected those independent African states. They also operated. Those governments that were operating in those spaces also operated like imperialists. Yeah. Like you look at the last king of Scotland and basically robbing the indigenous people who are there, taking their resources, using it to funneling it through the government, giving it all away to the government officials and not really taking care of those peoples, that imperialist structure in those spaces never changed. Hmm. So we are all a part of this unfortunate... But see, where do you place the blame? Do you place the blame on the colonialists? Kind of, here, here's the system. Let me teach you the system of oppression. Or is the blame on the on the people who were oppressed and were supposed to liberate and, and then thus continuing. The, I, I feel like this is Killmonger. Yeah. Is, this I'm is trying Killmonger. to find the productivity in placing the blame. Hmm. Mm -hmm. it, or okay. like, where's the origin of... I mean, that's tricky because it is like every nation does have... I mean, all over the world, nations have been conquering other nations mm -hmm. and usurping their resources. And I think Killmonger specifically, because he was indoctrinated in military tactics, like he was in the military... Um, and I think Ryan Coogler, I was watching this video and he talks about, he put Wakanda in the Pan-African flag colors in the specific scene. So that gives me an insight into Ryan Coogler. And this is somebody who made Fruitvale Station, right? Yeah. He's very politically astute. I think him putting Pan-African iconography in the film, I felt like Wakanda evolved to a Pan-African standpoint. Mm -hmm. They were not for the protection of other people and i still think there's a reason why not like the moment you open it up now you're vulnerable to attack right so i i was kind of like fuck i mean shit i mean right. you can't help anybody if you're not free and sovereign but um i do think in this parallel of these this evolution killmonger kind of does represent that that western imperialism that is so ingrained in our system 
And maybe normal people wouldn't be so ingrained, but Killmonger specifically because of his tie to the military. Right. And all these kills, like I went to Iraq mm. and all these kills were getting me here. I think even that statement, like you were killing on behalf of imperialism. <laughs> wow. Um, but again, we have to talk about the allegiance to blackness. If you observed the persecution of blackness, do you not have an allegiance to blackness? See, it's interesting because African people, until they come here, don't have the same concept of blackness. It's not a universal term. It's not a universal structure. People have, I'm Wakandan. Like, it's exactly. Uh, I am from Eritrea. I am from Nigeria. And even then yeah. in Nigeria, it's like, I am Igbo. I am yes. Hausa. My history. And, yeah. Right. And like every, every place has these nuances. The ethnic groups are not just all universal. Right. We say Asian. Right. But people know, like, I'm from Laos. I'm from Burma. I'm this ethnic group, even in this place. I'm from right. the south of the country. I'm from the north. They don't view themselves as homogenous. Blackness is a homogenous term as a reaction to white supremacy. Right. So I think even I feel like even clinging to black liberation is problematic because you're still you have to allow people to determine for themselves what their self-determination looks like. Mm-hmm. Or you from the outside are in danger of imposing on them what their freedom should look like. Right. And how are you, how is he equipped to know what Wakanda needs to do when on his first day there, nigga, he he didn't even see the sunset in the country. (laughs) He set the, yeah. Your first day. And I told, I I feel like the equivalent of this is like me being like, I did a DNA test. I'm Ghanaian. I'm related to these Ashanti, these Ashanti chieftains on my first day arriving Ghana here. Welcome back to Africa. Hey, give me all your fucking resources. Cause I'm gonna go bring it back to Houston. <laughs> I would not be viewed as a freedom fighter. Right. I would be like, you didn't even, you don't even know us. Like right. you just got here. That would be Americanized. Right. Cause it would be like, you don't know our custom. You don't know our history. You don't know what we need. Right. You don't know what we need this for. Right. And I'm like, that's a, that's an American, like arrogance we have, like, oh, right. I know what you need to do with your shit. That's you got oil, I know what the fuck you should do with that. Like, And it's like, I challenge anyone to call Killmonger evil, though, right? Because like, yeah, I, I, just, I don't think and anyone yeah, you really said that. You said that he was he's, not a true villain. He's traumatized. He's right? an African-American. Mm. Yeah, I think it was mm. like the tragic mulatto archetype being subverted into like the tragic hyphen. Maybe that's what we call the tragic hyphen. Yeah. Living between these two worlds, which they used to have as mulattoes. Right. We're not mulattoes, but... I I had a really interesting... I told you I was having interesting conversations about how Africans have said that, hey, um, African Americans are participating in, in appropriation, and also African Americans have our own rich culture that is independent of Africa that we have created on our own. I remember, like, for example, I have this tattoo on my forearm that is Anansi the Spider. It is a Ghanaian god. But as that god transitioned from Ghana through the triangle girler slave trade, he became, you know, Bro Rabbit. Mm -hmm. And Bro Rabbit was the foundation for Bugs Bunny. Um, So you have this trickster character, this trickster archetype that has had an evolution from Africa to America that we've kind of taken and created our own iteration. And so in what narrative or in what um, portion of that lineage can black people, African-American people claim, and what do we have to relinquish 
and say that, hey, this belongs to somebody else and you can't have it, black ass people. You need to sit down. You got Zora Neale Hurston. Let them have Chinua and Chebe. <laughs> Ooh, I feel like everybody gonna hate me. <laughs> I do. I feel like all the hotels is gonna find me and send me. First of all, send me. the hotels can come see me because we. There are so many issues that I be having with them. Oh, I get. I sometimes I get DMs like sister. Like I think I'm. I'm so misguided. But my issue with. A lot of, and this is an issue I've, myself, I mm-hmm. have dealt with and I've come to terms, not come to terms with, I'm just okay not knowing where I stand mm-hmm. and feeling like, Candace, you have some ideas that don't link up, which is the idea we're trying to create to white people is we're not a monolith. But in our, in our assessment of Africa and blackness, we make it a monolith because mm-hmm. we erase all the the like Africa is the most genetically variable place in the world mm-hmm. and we literally think we have entitlement to the whole continent right I can see our necessity for that before because we didn't have access there was no way to know mm-hmm. but with DNA testing you can know exactly where your people come from and you can claim that and allow Africa to be um, heterogeneous allow mm-hmm. the, the the nuances of these cultural understandings and their history and mythos and cosmology exist in this rich tapestry mm-hmm. instead of saying well I can claim all of Africa as if it's all the same right it's not all this like Eritreans and Nigerians are not not the same not the same Moroccans the Berber people are not and the, the same as people are are not yeah. the same yeah. and the differences are so Sometimes vast and that's yeah. beautiful. And so I feel like stop naming your kids Swahili names if <laughs> you can go back and find now with technology where your people are from. I do think it is. I think the appropriation argument is valid. Right. Hmm. I think it is valid. If you don't have the, I think as humans, we can all pull from the buffet of everything that is in the human pool. Mm-hmm. I think there's a level of respect though when I pull. Like, if I do yoga, I should have respect for, for how it started in India mm-hmm. or where it started in Nepal. You know what I mean? Right. Have respect for that, that I'm borrowing something, but I can as a human being from this collective. But I can see Africans upset with black people taking stuff like it's theirs. And they're like, you, don't, you didn't pay culturally for these things. Right. You know, like there's a cultural buy-in that we don't have. Right. And we just take on... You know, I feel like a lot of this conversation, and we were talking about dating and dating different races before, and I feel like we're kind of talking about, like, factionalization and, like, groups and, like, belonging and not belonging, right, inside and outside groups. And and, and I, f- I feel like there is this, like, wonderful idea of unity that I feel like being able to have this conversation as a minority in America unites in a way that separates, okay, I don't know my history, you know, my people's history with Japan, Right? As a mm-hmm. Chinese person or with Korea. But I know that if you grew up here and if you grew up in the South as an Asian, I know you. Right? Right. It's, so it's like, I don't care if you're black or Latino. It's like, if you grew up as a minority, we we share a common experience. And that may might be more... that That's way less abstract than sharing a common heritage. I don't really know my heritage. Yeah. You know? I grew up eating Pop-Tarts and Gushers. Right. right? I wasn't learning about the the... East Asian diaspora from China, then to Taiwan, then to America and the West, right? I just know what it's like for someone to rob you of your power on the street when they say something to you. Right. And I feel like, I, I just feel like 
what Black Panther is doing is, yes, there's like factionalized arguments about what is or isn't the correct way to interpret this movie. But I feel like there is like huge unity of, I, I don't know, like the, the mainstreaming of a conversation about minority status. <gasps> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and I, I it's don't, super like, marketable. Oh, I, I just, I, so I guess I'm just curious. Like, everybody looks so good. Oh, so At this point, I'm just seeing it for sexual stimulation. If mm. I'm honest. Oh my god! I've so seen many it three times. Snacks. <laughs> I, I was like, everybody is snack. The women are snacks. The men are snacks. Just whole ass snacks. Snacks. I was. I wanted them to fight more. But I, I want to continue on your on the train of your point because you talked about imagining what an Asian Wakanda would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken Jong's not there. He cast <laughs> him out. Sorry, Ken. Sorry. I mean... Margaret Cho, I'm still thinking about. <laughs> Constance Wu is in there. Okay. Aziz is in purgatory. As, 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 I mean, oh, he's, he's in his little kitty corner. Oh. So, you know, <laughs> we're still thinking on But it. talk about factions, the difference between, you know, um, somebody who is like you ethnically Han Chinese and then somebody who is um, Sanskrit or like, you know, Indian and it's all on the same continent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, holy shit. <laughs> and, you know, you, I started to realize it when I teaching ESL, like teaching English language learners. And you're like, I mean, oh my God, the, the students from Nepal. I, I was like, one of them looks very Chinese and it's like all oh, because there was right. a relationship between uh, China and Nepal like with this right. this rich history and this girl looks Chinese and then and then this guy looks Indian and they're from the same country and they speak a similar language but they're not the same people and then I have uh, students from Burma which is now Myanmar but they call themselves Burmese and then mm-hmm. they'll be like no miss I'm oh I'm trying to think of the ethnic groups and some of the names right. are so similar that you're like Oh, but can't you talk to each other? And they're like, no, miss. No, because we are not the same yeah. <laughs> people. Like, and you just like, but you, you look the same. Your name? Oh, Corinne and Corinne. Oh, miss, I'm Corinne. Oh, I'm Corinne. Like, do you not speak the same language? I'm telling you, like, like Killmonger, like, I understood his status as an expat. Like, I can't tell you how strange it is to go home to my family <laughs> and talk to my cousins and feel like I'm a total foreigner. Yeah. You know, like, it, I can't explain to you what, what it's like to be in your family and feel more like a foreigner than being in a space of whiteness, where oh, I feel more comfortable. I know that as a daughter of an immigrant, mm-hmm. that that nuance is, is shitty. Like, first time I met my Haitian family, it was when I fully dawned on me that, like, there is a cultural right. gap that I can't bridge. Ling- linguistically, I can't bridge it. My grandma speaks no English. Everybody is so ingrained in the culture that, like, they forget to speak English so I can be a part. Yeah. And then being called, you're such a Yankee. I never had that term weaponized. And it hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurt. And then to, like, and then, like I said, like, to feel so American, then you're not really American. But then, and then black people also would do this thing, like, well, you're not regular black. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. You're not regular. Wait, you're not regular? What? She's Haitian. Okay, okay. And I don't know how they know, but I've always gotten this like, well, what are you and your last name and what are like, what's your, what are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm Haitian. And regardless of the fact that I didn't grow up in the culture, it's like, oh, you're not regular black. You're not a black black, yeah. So then you're like, oh, cool. Like, okay, I'm like, I'm half and I'm half Haitian. And then you go to the Haitians and they're like, no, you're American. You're like, oh. Oh my God. 
I experienced something similar because I I was I lived in South Africa from 1996 to 1998. It was really I was young, but formative years. Um, the little black girls were very clear that they were like, "You are not us." <laughs> it mm. was you, they were like, "You are not an African person. You are." an African-American person. They were like, do you know Oprah? Okay, you have no value to us because that's the extent to which you can contribute to this existence, which is a, you know, Bantu, you are not Kosa, you are not Zulu, you are not a part of our tribes. And I went home and my mama was like, you're right, you're not. You are A. Philip Randolph, you are Toni Morrison, you are Spellman, Howard, Tuskegee University, you are blues music, you are jazz. Um, it's rich and beautiful. And if you talk to Fela, he listened to John Coltrane. Mm. So right. it is something that you should embrace and understand that, yes, there is division and the miscegenation is a part of you. Um, and you have to embrace all of those things. So, But it is, it is a purgatory a bit being African-American. But we've found ways to create exceptional beauty within the existence of being in that purgatory. I hate when people say black people don't have a culture. We have a culture and it's literally, this is America's biggest export. Mm-hmm. Right. We are like we are. everything we've created, our cultural expressions are bought and sold our music, right. our dance, our look, our fashion, our language. This is our culture. These are our culture productions. So we right. have a system of values. There's even structure, like even the abonics thing. It's like there's a there's a linguistic structure right. that follows certain rules that pidgin languages have. Like right. we have a culture. I don't, I hate when people say that. Right. You do. You have a hybrid culture, and it exists nowhere in the world. Like blackness as it exists here does, is not universal. Right. You go to South America, like blackness there, it doesn't exist like it exists here. Right. And they take a cue from us. Right. And they are also, I mean, hip hop and. They're they're taking cues from us all the time. Right. But I think maybe they appreciate that they are taking it from us mm-hmm. versus they don't feel so entitled like this is ours. Right. They know that we made it. Right. Versus like we take Africa stuff, be like, this shit is ours, that's mine. Yeah. That's true. So what what is so like for you guys, what does Wakanda mean to you? Like what is like the Wakandan ideal? Because like, people are talking about Wakanda as not just like a fictional place made up by two Jewish people, right? It's like mm-hmm. th- it's more than that. It's like we've there people have claimed Wakanda as mm-hmm. some kind of spiritual mecca, some kind of I don't know, an Afrofuturist imagination, some mm-hmm. kind of place of belonging mm-hmm. and of home mm-hmm. and of pride. So it's like what what is that what is that kind of idea? How does that apply to what we're talking about right now? Wakanda is an it's a dream. <laughs> it's a dream of a possibility of things that could have happened um but didn't. <laughs> but it's hmm. and it's wonderful and it's expansive and it's beautiful to see black people engaging in in this possibility that is afrofuturism, imagining ourselves in a technology in a future um in a visualization in a reality that sees us as a member of progress. Mm. Um, and I'm so happy that black people have embraced it in the way that it, they have and been so celebratory about it. It's it's really a beautiful thing to watch because a lot of what we are dealt is hopelessness. Mm. Um, and a lot of the narratives of the future we don't exist in. And in this situation, in, in the metaphor that is Wakanda, we have created our own. And it it uh, it was able to come to fruition on the big screen. Yeah. 
I think there's something I'm like as an artist, as an actor, as a writer, I am like in so much awe of Ryan Coogler. Yeah. Because I think there is something that these characters were created by, you know, Jewish men, but to pass that over and let an African American man reimagine it and take some license with the original story and reimagine this world through a particular lens and how he did that and the choices that he made and what this means for what Wakanda means in general for the future of entertainment for people of color. And I think black people tend to lead the way, but you know that this is opening the door open for so many diverse narratives to come up that don't use race as the predominant storyline. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm a little yeah, yeah, raced yeah. out. Like, right. we just get to exist empowered in a world and space where we're not the other. Mm-hmm. Was amazing. And it's not about you. And it's it not wasn't about, about And I loved what they, they said, don't... They barked at him. Oh, yeah, that was great. Oh, he was like, gorilla, you gorilla. just don't... <laughs> we were like, you don't get to speak here. You don't get to speak here. And that, I think, is where we're going with the arts, which is... An art that is so focused on us. We only talk about race when y'all get here. Otherwise, we yeah. live our lives. And in yeah. the absence of whiteness, there's no need to talk about race. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I want to... No, I want to read a quote. Give it back. Well, so, okay, so, the so York, there... Okay. The New York Times Magazine um, published this wonderful article by Carvel Wallace, who's from Oakland, and he talked about this idea. And so there's this quote from this article that I want to share. So he says... The artistic movement called Afrofuturism, a decidedly black creation, is meant to go far beyond the limitations of the white imagination. It isn't just the idea that black people will exist in the future, will use technology and science, will travel deep into space. It is the idea that we will have won the future. There exists somewhere within us an image in which we are whole, in which we are home. Afrofuturism is, if nothing else, an attempt to imagine what that home would be. Black Panther cannot help being part of this. Wakanda itself is a dream state, says that director Ava DuVernay, a place that's been in the hearts and minds and spirits of black people since we were brought here in chains. Ooh, a dream state. I mean, I I had been reminded of a quote from Toni Morrison because the main criticism that Toni Morrison would get from her writing was that she doesn't write about... Um, civil rights movements. Mm-hmm. So um, white people being the oppressor. And she turned that right back around. She was like, you never asked Russian writers, um, you know, mm-hmm. absurdist writers to write about a little girl growing up in rural Ohio who's black. Why? Why would you ask them to write that? That sounds absurd, doesn't it? I write about my experience. And how dare you tell me that my experience is only validated because of your existence. Um, I just, uh, the questions that you get, like just the, the narcissism of white supremacy is just suffocating. That's, we just cannot live or breathe without being oppressed or being validated by white people. Like, it's like, really y'all? But see, we were talking about listening to Still Processing, right? Mm-hmm. The podcast on kind of race, mm-hmm. uh, race and entertainment uh, by the New York Times with Jen Wortham and Wesley Morris. Mm-hmm. And they were debating with Ta-Nehisi Coates, mm-hmm. who has been part of writing uh, comic books for Black Panther, about 
like in the movie Moonlight, if there are white people in it. So there, there are no white people in the movie Moonlight, and right. it's just a purely black movie, and people love it. Right. But Tani's is like, yeah, but it's in the gravity. It's yeah. in the water. It's in the air. When when that kid goes to jail, that's that's whiteness. Yeah. When he turns out the way he is, that's whiteness. When the when you know when he's living the projects, that is a white creation. So right. white people actually are in these spaces. So so there's like this debate about if white people are part of let's see a movie like Black Panther or Moonlight, right. if they're just there in the background informing the structure that everything is built. Well, back to Candace's point, point, Killmonger is whiteness. Ooh. He's just the black face of, of whiteness. Like, I, I, wow. I kind of think that he represents that. Like, he's, you still have an invader invades a sovereign nation yeah. to liberate its resources. Trained in all the American Western imperialism ideas, right? Without any regard to culturally their sovereignty or what they should do with those resources. Um, just because it has a black face doesn't mean that it's any less a whiteness construct. And he just is a, I mean, like people love Obama and I'm like, it's a black face on a white supremacist system and structure. Hmm. The black face is purely a symbol of progress. Like it's not, it's symbolic progress, Mm -hmm. but it's not structural progress. This is just a black face on a white system and structure a european construct western european imperialist construct yeah and i think that people's association with killmonger i think they should think about that and see if that's part of it is like we love the we love the black face of it but when you analyze the actions he wasn't you don't achieve liberation of one group of people by literally being and doing mm-hmm. the exact thing you're you're criticizing. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, he didn't even have a plan. Like, what was your plan? You're just gonna give vibranium to oppress people? Like, was there like, did you have a secretary? Right. It's like a helpline. Right. Right. What's the contingency here? Yeah. Like, oh my god, in the hands of white people. What do well, I do I, now? I, I like, think, I think he had a plan. It's like it's like American foreign policy, right? We we find the the rebel groups that we want, and we just give them we a bunch of weapons. Them. Right. We right. Them. Exactly. Yeah, and that's been and real productive. And, it's, and know, right? it's, <laughs> it works wonders. <laughs> Yeah. wonders. Yeah, fun guerrilla warfare in these countries that are... Just, He's gonna do that. And yes. Essentially, yes. Like, it's... it's Oh, God. It is. It is our... It's American foreign policy everywhere. Where we literally fund rebels and we let them fight it out in guerrilla wars and we... And then create dictators. And them. then rule those countries now that they've been broken down from this centerhead. Mm-hmm. Which he was like, and I'll... And Wakanda will rule them. Well, me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to rule them, which is, it is, it's American foreign policy. We subvert governments everywhere, either economically or via guerrilla warfare, civil wars. And then we come in and say, hey, Lil, maybe you guys will give you a little bit of aid and you guys can do what we want. And we just have satellite. They're not sovereign. Like nothing in Africa is sovereign. People are like, well, Ethiopia was never colonized. It wasn't colonized. But the moment you're taking aid... And they're telling you what you can and cannot do with your resources. You are not a sovereign nation. So I, I, this isn't a segue or I don't know. I'm just so excited and overwhelmed by like this conversation that's happening. But this is the reason why Black Panther is good. And the reason why blackness, you know, in the African-American sense is beautiful. Because Wakanda, I mean, has been turned into an African-American piece of art, you know, and Ryan Coogler being the lead on this is that 
the reality of it. You know, Black people, because we are entrenched in struggle, we don't have the space to just create art that's about, you know, um, people flittering around and, you know, I don't know, creating really hey, nice, really pretty like, characters. I really like La La Land. Yes, La La Land. We don't create, we don't create La La Lands. We don't create La La Lands. We create superhero narratives that take into account the way the CIA goes into countries, uproots them, and creates guerrilla warfare. Because, And that is why the art is so good. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's so exciting to me. Like, that shit is fucking deep. And it's in a movie about superheroes. Yeah. I, and I, I don't think... I don't... I could be reading super deep into it. No, I don't think you are okay. because it was stated explicitly that this, this is like character, the, plot of the, movie. the plot of the movie, this character was a mechanism of the CIA, and they said explicitly in the movie that hey, this is what we do. He goes into different countries, uproots, like takes it deliberately. Like oh it was black people. We we don't have the time and the space to make things that are frivolous, and even in the mm. beautiful things that we create, the. It is that deep and it is that expansive. And I love that that's happening. I'm loving that we have the opportunity to take what is all of the bullshit wading through whiteness and white supremacy and, and like really making a huge ass dick and just slapping the fuck out of cinema with it. And it they, is just and they loved it. And they we loved it. Back. They we did. We back. Back. Like, oh, they me. we teabagged the cinema. <laughs> and they were loving it. It was like the worst porno ever. And oh, she's like, give it to me. So more, beautiful. More, more. Just here's it. <laughs> big black dick fucks the world oh, oh my god oh, oh I just learned T'Challa is James Brown <laughs> oh lord we won't even talk I about that I just learned about that, that. I, just, I was like that was Chadwick Boseman from Get Out Up yes I was like oh my god I didn't Chad. know that I just Ooh, you know we have wins Boom. and we have loses like can you imagine Chadwick with the long hair with the and the yeah 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 Googled it. Oh Google it. Yeah, it was. Well, I had a moment come yesterday. Come on, I'm in university. S- I'm inspired. <laughs> <laughs> there's growth. There's levels. One day you'll look back and be like, let's never talk about these projects <laughs> ever, ever again. again. Oh, oh, my God. Are we going to get her back, Candace, on the show? We like, have to. Because this experience, this was deep. My mind is blown, y'all. Oh, my God. You have to Candace, come on Candace, you make us Bring some intellect to us. We have none. <laughs> <laughs> None. That's not true. By guys, merit of you being present there, there is intellect there. Guys, Woke and Half Asleep <laughs> by yes. Candace and Bean is a great podcast. <laughs> you can find it on Apple Podcasts. You know, I listen to it on Apple Podcasts. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Y'all are published. So it's on Google Play, too. Please listen to them. It, it's it's ratchet intellectualism. I am an well, avid. Ratchetry is fun. It, it is. It, We've been ratchet before. Well, I'm ratchet. He's not ratchet. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Sure. It's like trap theory, except I've never been to a trap, and I don't know what they do in a trap. Oh, my God. Uh, I love it. I think they have honey, because there's a lot of bees there. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! All right. You ain't been to the south side of Atlanta, girl. We're going to take a trip. No. I don't think okay. I want to go. I'm <laughs> Oh, here's another look. Candace, you you have to go because you are about to act in Men on Boats at Main Street Theater. Yes. Uh, we run Thursday through Sunday um, until March 11th. And then my next show opens. You have a next show? 
Yeah, I'm booked until July 1st. <gasps> Amen. Hallelujah. It's been a whole year of book. Okay, so Small Ball with Catastrophic opens. Um, You're in Small Ball? Yeah. Oh my God. So it opens April, I think the first week of April, and it runs till the end of April? Mm-hmm. Or it runs until May, the second week of May, like May 7th or May 8th. I'm sorry, I don't know dates yet. And then I'm in an alley show. Um, in the new house called The Cake, and that runs June 1st through July 1st. These are good shows. Yes, working working is what where it's at. We're proud of you. That's amazing. Thanks. Oh, my God. Should we say bye? Wow. This has been an incredible conversation. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Candace, come back. Come back. Hang out with us. I'll, I'll feed you. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs>